Thank you guys for welcoming me up. Um, I don't, the whole accolades thing, that doesn't make any sense to me because I'm not playing football up here, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but whatever. Uh, so uh, as Tyson said, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors, um, a lead pastor at Redemption Tempe, which is not to be confused with the redemption that's down the street. Like, that's some other campus we started. We're the main campus. And so, uh, <laughs> so we are, we're, we're, we're in Tempe, and, uh, and I've been there. I've been lead pastor there for uh, almost seven years now. And so married. Um, I have a wife. We've been married. We'll be married 11 years in July. And we have two boys. We have a nine-year-old, and we have a seven-year-old. And uh, that's, that's who we are. We're originally my wife's from Northern California. I'm from Southern California. We met um, at the end of college um, at ASU. I was playing football, and she was playing soccer. Um, and we didn't actually meet in college. I take it back. We knew who each other were in college. It was after college where we were doing a, a ministry called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And, um, and then we met each other. She got my number. She just kept calling me. <laughs> it was the other way around. So, so anyways, I, um, you, you guys as pastors, so Scott, Scott and I are really good friends. And Scott asked me to come teach here, which is great. And I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, you guys, Scott teaches 30 minutes, which just so you know, like that, that's pretty impressive. Like I never... I've never gone under 30 minutes, and so I told last hour, and I didn't last hour, so um, those of you intercessors, pray so we can see, we can, see, we can have a miracle, and um, he's like, hey, you know, you're doing me a big favor, and I'm like, no, actually, you're doing me a favor because the message I get to teach to you guys today, I get to work it out on you guys, and if it works, I'm going to teach it next week at my church, and so, and if it doesn't, oh well, and then those of you guys who came from my church here, uh, come back next week and uh, just hear what the Lord has to say to you again uh, <laughs> in the same text. So real quick, let me just kind of um, let you know my style. So me and Scott are, are different in the way that we preach, and so I'm going to talk at least four to five times faster um, than, than Scott. So um, over here. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Get ready. <laughs> right. And so, um, and... Um, yeah, that's it. And so you guys feel free. So there's, there's moments where I'll say amen if something's true. And if something's true and you agree with it, you will say, amen. all right. And if it's not, or like if it's not true, talk to me afterwards. Uh, if, it, if you don't agree with it, just kind of look at me. And if you're just confused, just kind of look at me. And you know what? You're going to look exactly how the crowd looked last, last service anyway. So <laughs> at least there's consistency there. So what we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time um, catching us up to Ephesians chapter 3 so we're not just jumping in there so you see where I'm coming from. And then we're going to look at this prayer. So Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21, it's a prayer of the Apostle Paul. And in this prayer, he's praying a few things for us. Is one, for God's people to be able to be strengthened by his spirit. And we're going to talk about what that means to be strengthened. And then the second one is to know, um, and particularly to know the love of God and the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And the last one is to be filled, to be strengthened, to know, and to be filled. So I'm going to pray and um, we'll ask God to bless our time and minister to us by his spirit through his word. Father, we thank you for the grace that's been extended to us in the work and through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Um, God, I thank you for the gathering of your people throughout this city and particularly in this church. God, we pray that now, Lord, that uh, you would elevate your word and then the presence and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we may worship, God, and that we may be um, led into your presence and ushered into your presence by your spirit. And so, God, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So a few weeks ago, we were remembering as a country the 50th year, um, it had been 50 years since MLK had been assassinated. And there's quotes that were going back and forth from, from MLK, and um, many quotes. But one of my favorite quotes is, he says this, and he says that men often hate each other because they fear each other. And they fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other, he says, because they cannot communicate. And most people usually end the quote there, they cannot communicate. But actually, he goes further to say they cannot communicate because they're separated. And we could say, well, maybe that's the way it was because that's when he was right in the day, you know, when there was segregation and so forth. What about now? And, and the reality of it is we may actually not be segregated, but we're still wildly separated even though we're next to each other. Um, I mean, I live in the same country you all live in, and I watch the same things. Eh, we probably watch similar things, right? We listen to... Uh, we all listen to things, right? But the reality of it is our country is wildly divided, right? There, I mean, you have had probably in the last two years conversations with people that you were hoping that they don't ask you certain questions, um, whether they be political questions or whatnot. You're going, if we can just avoid that, we can kind of keep this thing together. But then if that bomb gets dropped in, it's like, oh, man, this, this could go wild, right? And so your, our experiences, no matter where you live, like th those are our experiences. And I don't have like this, like, belief or hope, I would say, that our country is going to be, like, united. I do have the expectation that the church would be, that the church would actually be the church who is centered around Christ Jesus, who is our hope, and whom we receive grace and mercy from, that we could actually live into the kingdom in which he's established, and it's is going to fully establish as his people, um, whether we're rich, poor, whether we're black, white, old, young, hear me, Democrat or Republican, that we actually center our lives in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Right? So, so, so when you look at the book of Ephesians, and you step back and go, let's, let's catch up to what Paul is praying for. Like, why is he praying? Right? So when you get to chapter 3, verse 14, he says, for this reason. Okay, Paul, what is this reason? The beginning of Ephesians. Um, one, most people will teach you that the book of Ephesians can be broken down in this way. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are doctrine. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 are application. So this is what we learn about God, and then this is how we live it out. When really, when you look at the book of Ephesians, it's mightily worshipful. I mean, it is a worshipful book. The way in which Paul writes it is not as someone who's a theologian just writing down doctrinal truths. He writes it as someone who actually knows God, who has been revealed the things of God, and desperately desires those who hear it to worship this same God. So it, it's something that elicits praise, prayer, and also just worship. So when he starts off, he starts off by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly realms. Like, meaning, like, we are so blessed in Christ. This is amazing. And then he begins to lay out these blessings. And these blessings are there because they're in response to the brokenness that's in the world. So if you go back to the very beginning of the story, the very, very beginning of the story, God creates it. He says, it's beautiful. It's good. It's good. It's good. And you get Adam and Eve, and everything's good. And then God says, listen, you can eat all this, but don't eat of this tree. And then Adam eats of the, the fruit of the tree. You guys know the story. And then sin comes into the world. And when sin enters the world, it separates, because sin always does that. It separates heaven and earth. It separates God from man. It separates man from each other and in creation. And then what we begin to see, the gospel, when we see the fullness of the gospel at work, we see that God is decisively working in Christ Jesus to bring about the reconciliation of those things. And Ephesians does a great job at displaying those, the, that, the power of the gospel and reconciling things, that God is into unity and bringing things that are separate and bringing them together. 
So chapter 1, he says he's going to unite all things in Christ, heaven and earth. And so we see that in Christ, God is uniting heaven and earth, which was broken by sin. And then the beginning of chapter 2, it says that we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead in our sin. What we normally say is, by nature, it says we were children of wrath, or we would say we were naughty by nature, which most people don't use a get because they weren't listening to 90s hip-hop, but that's right. <laughs> sin is still sin. <laughs> so we're, we're separated from God, but then what you see in the latter part of, the beginning of chapter 2, 1 through 10, is by grace we've been saved. And you've heard that. This is unmerited favor that we've been saved by God's grace. So now not only is heaven and earth been reconciled in Christ, but now through the work of Christ that we are now reconciled to God. Well, he doesn't just stop there, but we do, sadly. He doesn't stop there. He goes, it's not just the, the vertical relationship that's been re reconciled, but now through the same cross, the horizontal relationship between Jew and Gentile, these people groups that were at odds with one another now find their newness, their joy, their glory in Christ together. And he says he's creating one new man out of two. Now, he didn't say Jewish stop being Jewish people, Gentiles stop being Gentiles. He's saying there's one new man. And that beautiful picture there is not new um, um, and something of its kind. It's new altogether. So the illustration I use is I drive a 2008 Nissan Altima, right? And if I got a 2018, that would be a newer version. I'm sure there's some upgrades. I'm sure there's some things you can do, you know, whatever. But I don't have that. So it's not like new in its kind like a car. It's new altogether, never been done before. It's Paul's way of saying this can only happen but by the grace and mercy of God. Like, policies can't bring this sort of unity. Um, strategies, um, practices can't bring this type of unity. This has to be born of when heaven meets earth in the person of Christ and his death on the cross, his resurrection, his sending the Spirit and his people, and as we faithfully respond to the beauty of that gospel and begin to live into the vertical understanding as also the horizontal understanding of the gospel to actually be one. And it is deeply, deeply difficult. It's hard, and it's messy, and our example is a bloody cross and an empty tomb. And then Paul knows this, and he, he, he begins in chapter 3 saying, the reason why I know this is because God has revealed it to me. This mystery that the Gentiles are a part of what God is doing in restoring and reconciling all of earth in Christ. And then he knows this is crazy. And he knows we can't do it apart from God. And so what does he do? He goes to God in prayer. This whole section here is a prayer. If you want to know what people believe about God and what God's going to do in the world, listen to how they pray. If, if, if you're only praying for the, the weather, if you're only praying for things to, you know, school to go well, okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't mean that you're praying in full consistency with the kingdom of God coming and God doing a work in and through it and his people living into and participating in what God is doing. So Paul gets to this point where we are, and he says, um, for this reason, because God is uniting heaven and earth and God to man and man to each other, for this reason, he says, he continues here, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The first thing he says is that I bow my knees. I bow my knees. So here's the thing I want to say about prayer. Um, prayer is one of those things where Tyson said it, um, it's the one thing that you can, you can give off if, just, if you just do it. Like, when we say in parenting or in anything, more things are caught than taught. The reality of it is, your kids, they're going to do the things that you do. And the weirdest thing about it is, usually they catch our sin more than anything else. I don't know why that is, right? But they do. Um, but they also catch on to things, whether, whether we know it or not, of the things of God. 
So like he said about his mother, I grew up in a divided home. My dad was not a follower of Christ. My mom was. It's, my mom accepted Jesus when I was four. I don't remember that. All I've known is a praying Christian mom, right? And so we would go to church, and she would take us to church. And you grew up in a black church. It's like you go to church at least three to four times a week, right? You're like, for what? Well, there's prayer night. There's intercessory prayer night. Um, there's youth choir. But, but what if you can't sing? doesn't matter. You're youth, um, Right? <laughs> And, and then there's regular church, and then there was, there was always some other, like, get-together. There was always something else going on. And so you're at church, and then you would be at church all dang day. There was no clock telling you, like, yeah, right. The spirit, the, when the spirit was done, the spirit was done. And then you would go and, and meet with another church. We always had a sister church. Um, and, and white evangelical churches, we don't have a whole lot of sisters and brother churches. I don't know, I don't know why that is. So, so today, it's official. Redemption Tempe and New Valley, we're sister churches now. Yeah, this is an announcement. Just want to let you guys know. Um, Scott's not here, so there's a lot of things we're going to, I mean, there's going to be some changes. <laughs> so, so, so we would, we would be at church all day, all day, all day long. But, um, what I loved is, is you couldn't go a day without my mom being in the room next door praying. And you can hear her praying for all of us by name. Um, when I became a Christian, right when I graduated college, my mom was the first person I called to say, I actually can believe this stuff now. Like, I was going, and I was going through the motions. I never faked it. I just did. It just didn't really sit. But when it did, I knew that was God answering my mom's prayers. And that was consistent with what God wants to do. God likes to save people and draw them to himself. So why not pray consistent with what God wants to do and then participate and live in that? So on a bigger picture, if God is about reconciliation and bringing people together who are, quote-unquote, not like-minded but are centered in the person and work of Christ, then let's pray um, according to his plan and his purposes, and then we can participate in it. And Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees because there's a lot that needs to happen that only God can do. And he says, when he says it, that we may be strengthened um, in his power through the Spirit, meaning this strength that we have has to come from the Lord. Like, this, this, what he's talking about is transformation— He's not talking about just morality. Uh, transformation will, will show itself in morality, but this is a work of God that we cannot get on our own. Okay, what does this look like? This was the antithesis of what was common in their day. What was common in their day was the teaching of like Aristotle. So virtue was it. And the way you would have virtue is that you would go out and you would gain virtue, that you would go at it alone and you would fight a war, you'd do things, and they would say you have virtue. And that's how you would find your identity based upon what you have completed and what you have done. However, the way the kingdom worked and the gospel of the kingdom is always upside down. That the way that you find your identity, the way that you find your virtue, the way you find your character who you are, is not in what you go out by yourself and do alone, but what Christ has done on your behalf and what you receive in the context of one another. And so it happens in community. And he says, I'm praying on my knees. Like, on my knees, I'm earnestly praying that God, who has already saved you, he ain't not done with you. Or the way we would say this, he ain't done yet. Right? that this God who has saved you now will give you strength um, of power from God through the Spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So he's saying this, I want you to be strengthened. I mean, I want you to grow in Christ's likeness that Christ may dwell in your heart. Now, don't think this the way that we teach little kids, you know, Christ lives in my heart and so forth. Think about him just taking over and think about it relationally. So think about this union that you have with Jesus, a deep abiding relationship in Christ. And if you don't have it, get in on it. Like, we've all know what it's like to be with somebody just by being with that person has enriched our lives, right? 
Some of you who are going, um, you, you have a family member, you have, you have a spouse. If you have a spouse, you should say, yeah, yeah, my spouse, they have, man, they're, they're, they're the one. But it's also other people as well. Mother, father, so forth. But how many of you guys are married, by the way? This is good. I'm, this is so good. Our church is, um, how should I say, not as old as you guys. And so there is a, there, there's not a whole lot of people married yet. Um, although that's, that's increasing. But this, this is great, because I can use my marriage illustration. So when Holly and I got married, um, and we, like, we got married, like, there were things that changed about my dwelling place, right? And so now that I was dwelling permanently, that's what that word means, permanently, not like Jesus is here for a little bit, then he's going to leave because you did some things, and you got to get your act back together, and then once you get your act back together, he'll come back and go, okay, now I'm ready. No, no, he's like, no, you had me at Jesus, you know, whatever, right? So you have, you have, you have Jesus permanently dwelling. So when Holly and I be, became married, there were certain things about where we lived that was wildly different than what I would have chosen if I were not married to Holly, right? Like the way the house looked, the way the house smelled, the way, uh, the way that we did things. I mean, like, like legitimately to like the, the, the adage of like, I squeezed from the bottom, she squeezed from the top in terms of the toothpaste. Um, I could go to bed with dishes in the sink, she couldn't. I was like, dang, that stinks for you, <laughs> right? And there, there, there were just certain things. Now, there were also certain things that I wanted in the house that because of our relationship with together, that needed to leave the house. And there were certain things that were not in the house that needed to be in the house. Um, and you go, what about morality? Morality in itself was not like we got married. Okay, here's the rules on what it means to be married to me just to go like, this is what it looks like. No, in relationship with one another, that began to show us, okay, this cannot be, and this cannot be, and we need more of this in order for this union to flow. But it flowed out of relationship because of the permanence of us being married to each other. So one of the ways this looked was in the way certain clothes she wore. Because when you're dating, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't show everything, right? You, right? 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 And so there was these, she has these overalls. And so when we got married, I'm like, hey, let's talk about these overalls. Um, I personally, and this is one man's opinion. Listen, if you got overalls on, they're amazing. But... If you're married to me, <laughs> I was like, man, we, we, oh, come on, Holly, these overalls, you know, this is, uh, overalls are for, like, little girls, pregnant women, they look amazing on them. I was like, Holly, you're neither, and so let's, uh, let's get rid of these overalls. And she was like, oh, no, 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 okay, I'm good. And then she walked to my closet and was like, there's actually this shirt, right? And I like this shirt, actually. And it was a shirt, it was an Echo shirt. And if you don't know, like, Mark Echo, don't worry about that, but it, uh, <laughs> It has like a rhino on it, right? And I was telling her, grown women don't wear overalls. And she's like, look at this shirt. Grown men don't wear this shirt. I'm like, why? She goes, grown men don't have animals on their shirt. And I was like, ooh, good point, good point, good point. So we got rid of those things. Like, we got rid of those things. And it, it, it flowed. I, I, didn't even, I wasn't even offended by it. I mean, I did like that shirt. I really did. I wasn't even offended by it because it was my wife. There was a relationship there that, that ultimately things had to change because my affection for my wife my desires for her, and likewise, her affections and her desires for me. Sometimes we relate to Christ all, only off morality. He says not to do this, I'm not going to do it. But do you understand that he does it because he loves you? That he says it because he loves you? That there's an affection that we have that he has for us? And to the degree that we see his affection and love for us, it's to the degree that our affections and love for him will be able to be increased. And so it's always deeply relational. That transformation or obedience flows out of a deep union that we have with God our Father, but namely through the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I am praying that you are strengthened with that sort of power by the Spirit that you begin to look more and more like your Savior.
Amen? So you ask yourself the question, like, if I'm in union with Christ, like, what are the things that are in this dwelling space that need, to, need not to be? And especially as it relates to unity and people and places and things being reconciled in Christ. What are certain preferences? What are, what are certain things that I have that were not afforded to me because of the cross of Christ that are my preferences that I brought into this, but because of union with Christ and then because of Christ, the union with others, that these things actually become secondary and not primary things. Amen? That's a little harder. Less people saying amen. More people going, I don't know what you mean, coach. <laughs> right? So, so we have this, this picture of Paul saying, I wanna, he wants to pray that we may be strengthened. The second thing that he shows is not the strengthened, but we just may, we may know. And he has a different understanding of talking about know or knowledge than what we would normally think. And so let me continue here. Um, it says, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, when he says this, he says, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in love. That means like anything we do has to be saturated and established in love. The love that he's talking about here is actually the love that you have. You have that love because God in his grace and mercy and love for you has given you that love. And he says this particular love that, that we ought to be established in this sort of love or this kind of love and that we may be rooted and grounded. So the picture there is before we can actually grow up, before there's actually maturity, that our roots of love have to go really, really, really deep. And he says, now when you do this, um, this is not individually. We, we, we read and interpret everything in the Bible individually. When majority of the Bible is talking pl plural, meaning like more than one. And so he, he's saying that we, being rooted and established in love, that we may be able to comprehend, that is to grab hold of, um, to grab our arms around, the height, the depth, the length, the width, to know the love of God, which surpasses all knowledge. Now, when he says this love of God, he says we with all the saints. Now, by all the saints, he means all the saints. In fact, if you looked up all the saints in the Greek, it means, hear me, all the saints, right? <laughs> right? So you, you have this picture of saying you need other believers in your life. Now, when I just said that, you thought about people in this room. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying all the saints. Meaning there's people that you need to glean from and be with that are not in this room. Here's the reality. This is a really healthy, theological, Bible-teaching, Presbyterian church. Like, I'm honored. I've never taught at a Presbyterian church. Uh, this could be the first. It could be the last. <laughs> you know? Um, but the reality of it is, and, and that's where I, I line theologically, I do but we get in theological echo chambers and we don't listen to the body of believers that are outside of our particular tradition. When really what we should do is we should have our tradition and know what bucket we're in. And then now that we're firmly secured in that bucket, then now we can learn from all the other buckets of people who love the heck out of Jesus. Like my mom, y'all, she's not Presbyterian, <laughs> right? She's not gospel-centered, she doesn't know all the language. No, not at all. She's wildly charismatic. Like speaking, praying, in tongues, anointing to oil. Like when I go to my mom's church, you guys have the white cloth here. 
to protect the bread. There's, there's blankets here because someone's about to be slain in the spirit. And you guys are like, what is that? It's being slain in the spirit. Um, and that's not my tradition. That's the tradition I grew up in. But man, I, I think they might pray in ways that we need to learn from. I've actually found in my own personal experience that I saw this, this dip in my prayer life the more I begin to know. Because somehow I thought that knowing more doctrine and more, in the, more, and more theology, somehow um, I didn't need God. I mean, I don't, I don't think I said that. But your prayer life will actually reflect what you think and what you feel about God. And so if it's absent, that's pretty scary. That's pretty scary. Um, when he says all the saints, that means we need to learn from other traditions and we need to learn from other people. That means we actually need to be with people in our lives who are not like us. That means we may actually like sit down in a Bible study with somebody who sees the scripture wildly different than us. I'm not saying that we get rid of orthodox, like what does it mean to be Christian? I'm not saying that we question things about the gospel in itself. No, I'm just saying there's some things that we're pretty hard, like core on, that we got to go like, that might be our position, but it may not be theirs. And if we don't link up with them, we're actually not able to see the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, the love of God. Like we might actually be missing out because we actually just huddle in our theological echo chambers. And, that, and that's, a, that's a problem. He says the way you're going to see this, now nobody can fully comprehend all of God's love. We'll spend all of eternity like, like understanding the depths of God's love. I mean, again, those of you who are in any relationship, any friendship, you're always learning more and more and more about the depth of the person that you're with. And when you're with God, it's likewise. However, God is saying when you link arms— and you're together in Christ, that there's more of his love and the way in which he saves and moves that we're able to understand. So one of the stories is um, I got a master's in global urban leadership. And so what that means is the school that I was at was, um, I think 60% of the students were from other parts of the world. And, and they would fly in and we would have these classes and whatnot in Seattle. And one of these particular classes, we're talking about reading the Bible in, in different perspectives. And we looked at the, the story of the woman at the well. So you guys probably know that story. And if you don't, you can go back and read it. Uh, I have time. And, uh, and essentially the story goes, Jesus is at the well. He's sitting there. He's thirsty. And this woman has a bucket. And he's like, yo, can I get some of that water? Um, paraphrasing here. Uh, and, and then she says, well, how is it that you asked me a woman for water? And he's like, listen, I'm thirsty. Can you give me some water? And then they go back and forth about some worship and worship issues. People still arguing about worship even way back then. And then, and then he says, why don't you go get your husband? And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, bingo, you're right. You've had five husbands or six husbands. And the guy you're with now, you're not even married to. And then the professor goes, okay, what is he talking about? What is the issue of the lady? What's the sin of the, the lady here? And then most of us, you know, Americans were like, well, there's, you know, she's, she's promiscuous, and, you know, she, you know, she's promiscuous. Like, it's all on her. Well, then this, this, this guy from Latin America goes, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're from a village like my village, and you realize that women do not have any rights and cannot get anything apart from a man, which was actually more consistent with biblical times than, than not, that, that means you look at this woman in this story wildly different. You may look at it as, um, one, she's had all these men in her life who've all left her, and now she's got, or who, who have used her, and now she's got a man in her life who won't even fully commit, and yet she's walking all this way to get him water, and now there's another man here saying, can you get me water? Okay, um, does this woman still need Jesus? Absolutely. It's just a different aspect of, of, of salvation and ways in which you see how God is redeeming and meeting people where they are than, than just, oh, you're promiscuous, you need Jesus, boom. Because this woman has an encounter with who Jesus is, and she's, she's excited about it. 
Okay, we don't get that perspective if we don't listen to that perspective. And that's just not theologically, right? That's being able to understand the love of God. And so hear me when I'm saying this. You don't understand this knowing um, by just reading books. This happens by eating meals. This happens by being in life with other people. This is being with people who are different than you, who challenge you, who think differently, hear me, vote differently, um, who love Jesus and saying, no matter how different we may be, we're still going to be one. Because that's exactly what God is doing. And somehow in that, I'm going to be able to walk away and understand something about who God is that's far bigger than what I had going into it. Amen? And so, so that's the picture. Okay. When he says to know the love of Christ, he says this sort of knowledge, collectively with all the saints looking at the gospel of Jesus, experience it in community, that this sort of, it surpasses knowledge. How does knowing surpass knowing? Like, what is he talking about? Okay, so we have an understanding of knowledge, and most of our understanding of knowledge comes through the enlightenment, and, you know, the way we know things is a very trivial way. We can put it through the scientific method. We can say, hey, it's going to be really hot today, right? And we go, how do you know it's hot? Well, we can measure it, and there's how many degrees it is. It's hot. And that's the way to say you know something. But then there's something about knowing something that's beautiful. Like, if you think about music, those of you guys who are really into music and whatever your particular genre of music is, and so if you're like a Bach, you're a Beethoven person, which, you know, those of you who say you are, you're trying to act cool. All right? So, or, or, or you say, I really like Adele or Alicia Keys or whatever. You could say, it's beautiful. If anybody likes music and understands music, they can go, yeah, that's beautiful. But can you put that through the scientific method? No. But you know from experience. Or take it even deeper. Does this child love his mother, right? You're not going to go through the scientific method on that, as good as a gift that has been for us. No, you're going to go look at the way this child runs to his mother. Like, look at the way his eyes light up. Some of you know what that's like. You're going to go get your kids, and they go, there she is, and they're going to run. Like, no, we got to check you out. We don't care. That's my mom, right? And, and, and you see the child, and the child is so excited to see the mother, and the child that gets picked up by the mother and puts the child's face in the neck, which we all know is the best position to be, for a kid is to put his face in the neck, right? Like, that's the best. Like, you still love me. This is great. But you're 35. Something like that. No. <laughs> like, there's this, there's, there is this beautiful picture of going, that's how we know. It's experience. And the way that we experience the love of God together is not just by reading books, by being in each other's lives and with all the saints being able to look afresh of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that not only is this gospel um, beginning to shape and transform us, but this gospel is also bringing us together. Amen? And then Paul concludes this particular section with not only looking at this, being strengthened with the power and having this knowing, but being filled. Verse 19, it says, And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And you go, that sounds good. What is Paul talking about? So Paul is Jewish, and Paul writes in, in Jewish understanding. O- oftentimes, we don't like, see how our Old Testament connects with the New Testament when all of our New Testament writers were writing from a Jewish perspective of the continuation of this story that God started. So when you look at the language of the fullness of God, to be filled with the fullness of God, it's very much temple language. And this, even in chapter 2, it's temple language. Like, what do you mean? Okay, I'm going to try to go through this really fast. Catch your breath. 
So when you see the tabernacle that God gives instruction, that same language of filled is there because his presence is there. And in a way, heaven is meeting with earth. And then when Solomon builds the temple, the, the, God fills it with his presence. And so in some ways, it's where heaven and earth meet. And then you begin to see the fullness of God in Jesus. So Jesus embodies in himself heaven and earth here that we may now, as he told the woman at the well, no longer have to go to a place of worship, but we will worship in spirit and truth, in him. So when he is um, resurrected and this spirit is given, now what we see is the temple is present. And the issue in the book of Acts, why the, Jew, the Jewish men want to kill the, the apostles and so forth, is because they're saying God is not working through that temple anymore. He used to have his presence in that temple. But since Acts chapter 2, the filling of the spirit is now with God's people. And so if you want to see where heaven and earth is being united and God has done display, look at his people. Look at his people. See if they're the people that are being strengthened by the power that Paul is praying for that we have by the Holy Spirit. See if those people are together in oneness and praying and listening and learning and ultimately being able to know a knowledge of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. And then see if those people are being filled with the thickness and the presence and the love of God in such a way that they are a display people to the rest of the world of this is what unity looks like because this is what God looks like. Paul says this is the work that only God can do. And, and, and he knows that maybe people like us would go, okay, what are the practical steps? No, 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 no. Let's, let's go to where it all starts and it's sustained and it's finished. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, it's not going to be us. It's going to be him who gets the glory. He's the one who can do abundantly more than we can think or imagine. The work of reconciliation is always the work of God. The response of the church is always in grace to participate with what God is already doing, to pray into, live into what God is already doing. And so if you're looking for a practical step, how, how about this? Love Jesus and love the, those who follow Jesus and be with people who are not like you. So how do I do that? Um, find someone who's not like you. There's a lot of people who are not like you, <laughs> right? And there's actually people in this room who are not like you. And here's what it is. You're always going to be offended and you're always going to be offending, you're going to be stepping on each other's toes, but at the end of it, if you're in Christ, can you be one? Can you still be one? The Bible seems to say so. Our lives seem to say different. So we got to confess that we're kind of inconsistent with what the Bible says. Repent, trust in the work of Christ, live in the messiness of Christ, because our example, again, is a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace and love that has been extended to us through Jesus. We thank you for the call on all of our lives to know you and to be welcomed into your family, to be one with you. God, we thank you that you have given us a love that surpasses knowledge. It's an experiential love, a love that can't be bought, a love that can't be earned, and thanks be to Jesus, a love that cannot be lost. And Father, we confess that we often think that people need to find you and the reality of it is you were never lost. <laughs> we are the ones who were lost and we need to be found. We pray that you would unite us to our other brothers and sisters in Christ 
in this church, in this city, in this country, in this world, that we may find a oneness that is not a part of this world and the strategies of this world, a oneness, Lord, in which the principalities and authorities tried to break, Lord, but a oneness that is accomplished with the greater power that has entered the world through the death and resurrection of Christ. Help us to stand firmly on that gospel and that good news. Help it to shape us, to fashion us, and form us. In Christ's name, amen.